Hi everyone, Raphael Harry here, and you're listening to White Label American, a podcast where we hear stories from an immigrant or two, sometimes more. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to a brand new episode of White Label American. Thank you all for joining us today. And before we begin, I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today. Thank you to our supporters. Thank you for everyone who subscribed to whitelabelamerican.com. Um, if you haven't, what are you waiting for? Hit the website www.whitelabelamerican.com. Hit the subscribe button. Hey, if you want to donate, you can hit the donations. Donate hey, as much as uh, as little as you can or as much as you can. We accept it all. There's merch available there. Buy whatever you can and share with your friends. Welcome, everybody. Join us. Uh, if you want to leave feedback, you can leave written feedback or you can leave voicemail also. And once a month, we do feedback shows and you're going to get um, your voices played. So, hey, leave it short, nice and awesome. And you get to hear your voice on the show. So you get to be part of the show one way or the other. And uh, yeah, there's also a link to the Patreon. So you can also become a, um, a patron of the show too. And we also try to do episodes with uh, our patrons once in a while. And we leave something for the patrons, just for the patrons. So there's so many ways you can be part of the shows and you get extras of the bonus content. So with that being said, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe and share. Um, Today I have the honor of having a very special, special person. Um, all my guests are special people. But today's guest is someone who, um, one of the most popular guests of this podcast introduced to me. And he's doing something that's uh, very important in the neighborhood. And, you know, it's small, but, you know, you don't think about it until you get to hear about something like this. And then you start to realize that, oh, yes, you know, the older you get sometimes, you know, you know, we hear, we are, we are familiar with Drake's song, No New Friends, No New Friends. And, yeah, you know, sometimes we take that like, yeah, no new friends. But um, you, you do sometimes need to make new friends. You know, there's nothing wrong with making new friends, getting, um, you know, friendship is important for your life and moving forward. You know, you can't just stay the same because people change, people grow, people evolve. And what today's guest has uh, one of the things that he does amongst many things that he's been doing and has done caters to friendship for um, dads and uh, you know and how dads navigate that field and you know he's very helpful to dads in that aspect so he's going to talk more about that and uh, that was how he came into my uh, I became aware of today's guest. So with that being said, you know, there's a lot of things about th this person. He's going to take us to a part of the world that we haven't visited in a long, long time other, um, since we had Namik, uh, my very good um, Russian brother who unfortunately supports the wrong team, Barcelona, but we forgive him because, you know, every family has somebody like that. Um, today's guest is Vadim Shepul. Um, he's going to tell us where he was born in. He's a fantastic gentleman. He's um, someone whose whole life has beautiful story. It has uh, there's a there's a hidden great novelist in there. There's a tech visionary. There's um, economics. There's 
computer science in this story. There's everything you want to hear. So with that being said, let's dive into uh, Vadim's story and get to meet Vadim. So welcome to the episode. Vadim, how are you doing today? Thanks so much, Raf. I'm very excited uh, to be here, and I really appreciate the very humbling introduction. So thank you. Hey, you're welcome, man. It's been my pleasure to have you. I've been wanting to have you on the episode, and uh, it's great to start 2022 with you. So, yes, uh, introduce us to your place of birth. And, um, oh, wait, before we even dive into your place of birth, uh, the names, Vadim, Shepel, what, what is the meaning of your names? Yeah, it's a great question. So, my first name, this is a story that my mom told me, and I don't know if it's true, but I like it, so I'm going to go with it. Uh, it's my first name means peacemaker, which peacemaker. I find very telling because throughout my life, I constantly found myself in situations where I'm trying to bring two sides together uh. Uh, and help to maybe de-escalate situations or, you know, move things forward, you know, whether it's in the family or at work or with friends. So I find myself always kind of playing that role. So I don't know if it's, and it was something, you know, I learned about this from my uh, mom way out, you know, when I was already much older, I think it was in high school or college. And I've heard this and I said, oh, wow, that, that makes sense. So again, I'm not sure if uh, this is true, but it's a, it's a story that I like. And I think it, it feels true uh, to me. In terms of the last name, I honestly don't know. So this is, um, I was fortunate to, grow up with two of my great grandmothers alive right. till I was in college, till I was, you know, about 19 or 20 years old. And each of them, these were incredible women who in Eastern Europe outlived uh, communism, meaning that they were wow. alive before yeah. the Soviet Union was formed in 1917. And they lived long enough to see, you know, way afterwards, right? And yeah, that's history right there, man. That is history. And I was, you know, my great grandmother, from my dad's side, uh, as a kid, saw the Tsar live in wow. person in a parade. So just to have that arc of history, you know, uh, chanting about that in a Brooklyn apartment just shows you how much has happened in the past, you know, in the 20th century and, you know, in the past 10 or 15 years in, in this century. Um, so I think the last name is probably has some European origins, maybe German, maybe Slavic, but um, you know, although I was fortunate to grow up with both my great grandmothers, I, you know, the history, as you can imagine, gets pretty murky once you get to their parents. So they kind of knew what, where they came from. But beyond that, there were just stories that, uh, so oral history, and it's hard to pin down. So stay tuned on, on that. Maybe I need to do some digging. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And <coughs> excuse me. Uh, if you find something in your digging, yeah, please share with me because uh, that is amazing having um, great grandparents who outlived, uh, who who saw the the the, the Soviet Union before it uh, came to be and outlived it, and that is wow. I mean, if they if they if they wrote down, if they have diaries, I mean, that is something that. Um, yeah, that that that's something that belongs in a museum, or like that. That that is just a wealth of information right there. That you know, people wish they had access to. You know, that is like wow. That is wow. I, yeah, I, I love hearing that. But yeah, to your name, peacemaker. Yeah, that 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 really suits you. <laughs> Anyone who yeah. has met you, I think they were agreed that yeah, that that name really. <laughs> yeah, that name. 
Yeah, I, 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 I buy that story too. Yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, I agree. I take it as the truth. I take it as the truth because yeah, if anyone has met you, they'll, they'll, yeah, that's all they just need. All it takes is just meeting you once, and yeah, they go with that. So you've already given um a little insight to um this question. So um, introduce us to where you were born, and um, yeah, give us a little bit about um your your childhood over there, and. Yeah, you know, city and just, yeah, just give us a general overlay of uh, your place of birth. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I'm from Ukraine, which I think the good thing is that most people are more familiar with this country, at least than when I came to the U.S. as a kid, because they thought, oh, Ukraine, it's, uh, is it like near Norway? And do you guys have snow and polar bears and uh, <laughs> drink lots of vodka? Uh, so now people know a bit more. Uh, about the country, which is great. Um, I'm part of, you know, my city called Kharkov was right on the border with Russia. So oh. it was predominantly uh, Russian speaking <clears throat> at that time. Mm-hmm. And beautiful city. It's about the size of Boston. Uh, so probably a million and a half people living there. And um, I had what I think is a pretty typical childhood of a kid growing up in Soviet Russia in the 80s, mid 80s. Uh, into the early 90s as the Soviet Union fell apart. And then my family immigrated to the US in 94. Um, It was a really peaceful childhood, really. Um, You know, great memories of sledding with my friends in the winter, um, kind of going to a summer as dacha, which is a summer house. Um, And, you know, during the summers with my family, learning, going to school. So really, you know, it was, I think, a great uh, childhood in in Ukraine. And then coming to the U.S., of course, uh, the adjustment to being in New York City, being in America and all the kind of cultural shocks that I, you know, that come with that, both good and bad, uh, you know, was an interesting experience. Uh, But in terms of uh, life in Ukraine, it was pretty standard for the time. So, um, my family was in a stable kind of economic position. So trying to keep our heads above water as things were unraveling in the late eighties and early nineties. Yeah. Uh, but no kind of no, really fortunately, no memories of hardship at that time, which, oh. which is really good. So it's, um, what was the city called again? Kharkov. So C-H-A-R-K-O-V. Yeah. Okay. So is um, Kharkov still part of Ukraine today? Yeah, it is. It is. So when Ukraine, so when the Soviet Union fell apart, Ukraine became its own country uh, very quickly. And uh, Kharkov is definitely part of Ukraine. It's one of the bigger cities next to Kiev and a few other uh, major cities there. So it's it has tons of history. I think it was the capital of Ukraine at some point. Oh. Uh, lots of World War II key battles happened there as well. So it, you know, I could go on more about the city, but it's it was definitely one of the major kind of manufacturing hubs as well, uh, made tractors and then tanks wow. uh, during World War II. So a lot of, most of my family uh, was trained as engineers, as good Soviet, upstanding Soviet citizens. <laughs> wow. Um... Yeah, why, why I asked if it was still part of um, Ukraine today was uh, because of the um, when the annex uh, annexation yeah. of um, um, uh, Crimea took place and uh, with the fighting in Ukraine still it's still happening. 
to this day. So I, I know that with some parts that are like Russian majority of the population aligning more to Russia, like so I, I don't ask if you know that part was still um, considered in Ukraine or if it was one of those that were like now trying to move towards Russia or had moved already into Russia. That's why I asked that question from uh, based on my little knowledge of um, what's been happening over there since uh, Crimea happened. Yeah, that's, I mean, to me, it's, that's a tragic kind of event uh, uh, because it's, and my city is still part of Ukraine. Um, You know, I grew up during a time when it was still both Ukraine and Russia was part of one greater thing. So it's Mm -hmm. like, it's the equivalent of maybe California breaking out of, you know, of United States uh kind of breaking apart and then you know you have one maybe the southern states right you have the california and its own right so yeah it and then and then you have a conflict between say an armed conflict between california and say i don't know nevada right and but we're all americans right so i think there because of a lot of the shared history of course there's crucial cultural identities on both sides right but is that a reason for us to start aren't armed conflict with each other you know it's Mm. so that to me is very sad to see as i think for most people on both sides right yeah Um, yeah it is sad to see because you know that's it's unfortunate like my my uh, friend who had mentioned previously uh namik who's uh he was born in i think i can't remember recall the city it's like the um when it comes to space studying of um, uh, in, um when it comes to space like the space is like space crazy it's a huge mm-hmm. part of space history in russia mm, i think i know which one yeah that's where he was born but his parents are from armenia mm-hmm. and so no azerbaijan uh, sorry azerbaijan and so he's russian but his parents are azerbaijani and they, so he's already connected and, the, and you start seeing, you know, and when he's, he talked on his episode about um, diversity and he's describing different groups that are in that part of Russia and he's like, yeah, it's not just black and white, like it goes beyond that. So they all have, they are connected in a way. And it, it, so if a, a conflict were to break out, it's it goes beyond just one country fighting another country. It affects more than just you know, two two countries just exchanging. It's a whole lot of people that is being affected, and I, I think when you're not familiar with uh, the area, you're not familiar with the people in that part of the world, you don't get that picture, and it, you just tend to look at a conflict from a general point of view and just ah. It's just this bad guy against, and they start being bad guy against. But it, 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 that's why there's this saying that uh, we have, uh, in the, I think not just only in Nigeria, but different parts of Africa, that uh, when two elephants fight, it's the grass that suffers. Exactly. You know? And that's the equivalent of something like that because it's the grass. They're, they're all the grasses. You know? and so, yeah. That, I couldn't have put it better. Exactly. Innocent people who, you know, have been pulled into this against mm-hmm. uh, you know against their will yeah yeah but we, we, we're not going to spend a lot of time on war let's uh yeah. move on to let's come back to you and uh 
so I would like to know when it comes to uh, your favorite childhood memory, will that mm. come from your time in Ukraine or will that come from after you had arrived in the States? Because you arrived here pretty, pretty young too. So Yeah, yeah. That's a really great question. I think, you know, there's an image that comes to mind when you say favorite childhood memory. So I could tell you what that is. And, right. um, but I think, you know, the childhood in the U.S. was very different childhood because it was more of like a quick adulthood because of the <laughs> adaptation <laughs> that um, we all had to go through. Okay. Um, so, you know, when I think of my childhood, I think it still probably resides in, in Ukraine. And this, the memory is really, it's a very peaceful memory. It's at the summer house that we would uh, go to as a family and we'd have different crops there. So you can imagine like a nice lush garden and grapevines mm. and cabbage and strawberries, all these things. And it's just really walking through that garden. And because I was so little, uh, there were raspberry uh, shrubs that were growing raspberries. But to me, that memory is like in a forest. So you're walking around and you have to reach up for the raspberries <laughs> and like you have to pull them down and, you know, eat as many as you can before someone figures out what you're doing. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's a very yeah. uh, kind of unfortunate to have that kind of very peaceful, warm childhood memory. Yeah. I bet those uh, raspberries tasted the sweetest at that point. They did. <laughs> There's something about being a kid and, um, you know, when, when whenever you're able to, like, access some fruits in the wild or some at someone's farm, or, like, it's something about being able to, like, successfully access fruits from a tree, you know, like, you, especially when you, it feels like you're so little and, you know, you, you can't do it, but you finally get it. And then it's, like, the taste of that fruit at that moment, it's like the sweetest thing you've ever eaten in your life. It might not be the sweetest tasting fruit, but at that point in time, it always felt like it was the sweetest. I don't know. That's how it felt to me as a kid. Well, you know, we remember <laughs> smells, smells and tastes. We remember <sighs> them. Most, right? So that it stays with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, you arrived in the states um pretty early um so you were what nine when you arrived in the states yeah and um did you come straight to new york or did you go somewhere else before coming to new york almost so we took um, we flew out of moscow so okay. russia so our family we took a train from ukraine uh, across the border into russia and stayed for about two weeks in Moscow with a few friends while we were waiting for different paperwork to yeah. get processed and uh, whatever happened there. So we spent about two weeks in Moscow um, and then flew straight from Moscow into New York and landed in JFK and took a, I think some friends met us and gave us a lift into where we'd be staying. And right as we were driving, we saw we passed the on the DQE, I don't know if uh, where the uh, where the prominent is, where you drive and you see this the skyline open up oh. down, mm -hmm. and I just remember driving from the airport. You can imagine all of our kind of uh, impressions or like the state of mind we were in, where we're just like, you know, a day ago we were in Moscow, now we're in on the highway, 
and then seeing the city come and you know open up in front of you uh that's something i'll always remember <clears throat> so you got to see did you, did you get a similar view in moscow of like the what was the main the most popular the site Fair? the kremlin or so yeah, yeah. vaguely uh probably <coughs> probably my parents took me there but i don't uh have that much of a memory of it to be honest well, i remember new york st stood out the big apple when you it said out. maybe it kind of overrode whatever memory i had <laughs> uh, so um seeing the new york um you know that big that the big apple scenery was that like your welcome to America moment or was there another moment that hit you after that, after your arrival, like this is, yeah. you've arrived in America? Yeah. So I think there are two sides to that coin. And so there's two coming to America moment. That is certainly the first one. And, and the you know, that is a big one. Um, but I think as most people who've immigrated uh, went through a similar experience, because then that's, kind of the shiny and the mesmerizing part of, you know, you're wild, you're in New York, you're looking up at all these buildings, all this hustle and bustle, um, and it, you're just, you know, in awe of all the beauty. Yeah. Uh, and all the freedom too, and I, I could speak more about that into, you know, coming from a society where you had to really say, watch what you say, watch what you do. Now you're in a city where people, especially being in New York, right? You get on the subway and people are doing all <laughs> kinds of things. And you're like, wow, I could do that, right? Like you could do all these things and nobody cares. Um, so that's that's one side of it. I think the other uh, welcome kind of to America is more of like the adjustment that, you know, all my family, we went through as, you know, all of a sudden having started from scratch and, you know, a family of um you know, all my family had to take, like my dad was working as a taxi driver briefly, right? Mm. Uh, um, my grandma was helping to, you know, for a moment, you know, clean the parks, right? Like, so things like, you know, people who had PhDs or, you know, were working, wow. uh, you know, very, very well, like professionally respected all of a sudden just yeah. starting from zero and just watching that really, you know, stayed with me as well. That's a tough adjustment, though, to to make, yeah. you know, because uh, yeah, it's it's people don't. I don't. I don't think that's something that um, kids understand until we start seeing it in real. Even when we start seeing it in real time, sometimes we, we don't even get how the system works here, because uh, you know, like my my mom migrated, like her final my she had been coming here for years, but. When she moved here, she was uh, she was well over fifty, and she she had what like three four degrees, and um, she was a senior director in the federal civil service in Nigeria. So you know, you, you look at all those qualifications, and you're like, oh, she just gonna just gonna translate to the same thing in America and. Then you start like, oh, waiting for she gonna get a job. She got something. It hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. And then you hear, oh, she's uh, babysitting. Like what? Babysitting? Well, why is she babysitting? It don't make sense, you know. Yeah. And you don't get it. And then you start 
you know, to realize why later on it makes sense why there are certain people who made the move and after they made the move, they just, the communication disappeared. It just seemed like they stopped communicating and the shame, the not knowing how to deal with this, the the expectations, the not meeting their expectations, the expectations not being met, you know, kind of thing, you know, nobody explained that, oh, the way it works in this country, you know, when you come here, it's like you're starting from zero. All that kind of stuff, especially if you don't have anybody, you know, network here, all that kind of stuff. It's it's tough for you to now start communicating back home, like, hey, look, I'm starting from here, I'm a taxi driver, especially if you're coming from a place where they've been looking down on these professions, you know, and then now you're not doing that profession. People are going to be like, what the hell, man, you... Yeah, you, you. Oh no, hell no. So there's a whole lot of emotional baggage that that adds on um, the adults, and then you, who's the kid of that person, or the, it's like, like for for me, the the language that I've been that I was used to was uh, you're lazy, or <laughs> there's something wrong if you if you worked in those professions, and now nah, I know better that it, you're not lazy if you're in those professions, but. You know, at, at that point in time, it was there were family members who was like, "Why, why are you doing that? Why are you in this job?" And you know, so you you start having that mental gymnastics going on, and you're like, "But it was until one got familiar with the system, how the system worked, and then you start, you know." So yeah, actually, that even gave me an idea to. I know a couple of um, therapists who um, specifically handle uh immigrants and yeah i think I have, to, I have to send a message to one of them to um if if they talk to children of immigrants brand new immigrants because i think that there's a there's there's there, there's a market there i, I don't mm. mean to uh, put it in that technology of market but someone needs to be addressed that because yeah. a lot of kids they don't it, that shock when you when you start seeing your parents going through that going through that struggle, trying to adjust. And it, it, it's also part of a lot of clashes and conflicts in homes. And, you know, because, you know, it's the, the dad or the mom is suffering and, and emotional stress. And how do I explain to my do my children see me as a failure? Do I, do I need children? I like them. my parents a failure and all that. So, yeah, yeah. So it's a whole I lot mean, of confusion there. It's it's a lot, and I think I mean there the silver lining in this. I think for the kids, uh, as a parent now, I see that well, at least one of the silver linings that you know that this is it's on you to make it right. If yeah. you nobody's going to give anything to you, right? You have to go and try to do what you can to help the family, to help yourself, to stand yourself up. And I think the other thing, you know, I watched that was a point of struggle when we came to the U.S. But then, you know, they. A lot of my family were able to move through that, and I can't like as an adult now. I can't imagine, you know, in recent like I am in my late thirties now. Um, you know, my grandma was in her fifties, right? Just mm -hmm. as you're described with, with with your mom. I can't imagine going to a different country, and this is when they had no idea about. There was no YouTube. There was no. Oh internet. yeah. Oh, that's another thing too. Yeah. It was like you're going to another planet and you all you're bringing is like what someone told you to bring and so kind of but then 
they were able to kind of rebuild their lives. And so that I think is something to, you know, that I took away as well, um, which I can't, again, as I grow older, I can't imagine doing what they did now, right? Just going to... That, that's the appreciation. That's where we, we start to appreciate the, the struggles that uh, they, they, they went through. Like, even, like, not saying that I... Um, I'm, I'm in this, I'm, uh, I'm, how will I put it? I'm not saying I support or approve, but even those who are considered the quote unquote villains or, you know, those who did the wrong stuff, I can, to an extent, empathize with them because when majority of the people went in blind and it's like, you're trying to figure out your way. So, there's the mistakes, the, the the actions. Yeah, if you're bad, you're a bad person. You're still going to do bad things. You know, even if you give them the information and all that, bad people will do bad things. But there are people who, when you look back, you can, like, not, the, the older you get and the more you can process information, you look back, you can say, yes, this person was clearly out of their depth, trying to make things work. And you can tell the ones who, how to like, I got to bump into the wall, bump into the wall, bump into the wall, bump into the wall until they found, oh, there's a door here then I can walk mm -hmm. right through it. And you could be like, wow. So while they were bumping into the wall, we, we we just had to keep going with them too. And okay, now I'm not angry anymore. I'm not, you know, so yeah. So there's a few people who I get it. Why they, they're like, I'm not going to forgive this person for this and that. And I'm like, that's between, I get it. I'm not going, I'm not a therapist. I'm not here to tell you, don't do that. I don't do this. But there are lots of people who I look back on now and I'm like, okay, yes, I, 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 I get why this happened this way. And yeah, because if I, I put myself in, the, in, in those people's shoes, put myself in that time, not now, I'm not doing judging with now. We have access to a whole bunch of information, but I'm, I'm like, yeah, I've, I definitely would have made a whole bunch of mistakes, done a whole bunch of wrong things, and um, I would have, okay, yeah, yeah, I, I too would have been bumping in walls and probably would have done worse. I don't know. Maybe I would have recovered quickly. Who knows? But, yeah, so I think that's led to me making certain decisions that I've been making lately and how I look back on certain people who migrated and, Yes, the actions that it, it took and yeah so I, once in a while well, before I probably would have been oh hell no push them away push, push them to the corner but now I think lately I've been changing because I, I, I look back and I'm like yeah someone got someone just said to some people come to this country it's it's paradise that's all many people got that's the only, the only information they got it, you make oh trust me you get here and and then you arrive, they didn't tell you that um, maybe b before you make it, you, you might you, you take it like seven years. That seven years is a whole lot of emotional stress that you're going to go under. They don't mention that part of it. They don't mention a whole lot of... And yeah, and we, we don't talk about how the brain reacts to all this stuff. And, you know, so now we are, we, we are at a stage where we are now, we're at a point where people now are open about all these things. And it's like cool to talk about this. Oh, uh, by the way, uh, those of you listening, you can't see what's happening. But at the beginning of this episode, there was a little background noise. My my daughter is in the studio, uh, and now she's grabbing onto me. I don't know why she's holding me, but 
Yeah, I knew this was gonna happen. So um yeah, so, so just just know if someone starts talking that doesn't sound like me, yeah, it's the it's the official owner of the podcast that's here with us. But let me ask the next question before I, I, I look at what she wants. Um uh, so you arrive and you start settling in, uh, Vadim, and uh one thing that uh got me fascinated with your story was uh, you said as a kid you had a dream to be a great novelist or tech visionary so where where do, you know where, where how many of great books have you written you know i think great i used to love reading uh, stories you know i love reading uh, a bunch of novels as a kid so where you ha- where, where have you hidden them and how, uh, have you already published them you know I know you, you may not have been using your, on, it may not have been published under Vadim. Like where they at? Where they at? Let's just, let's just, you know, just between you and I, you can just, you can. I won't tell nobody. Right. <laughs> it's my, it's my, it's what I've been doing during the night. Yes, um, no, I wish, I wish. Uh, maybe you know, it's something that I still think about, and maybe I'll come back to later in life. Uh, but yeah, it really, it's two, you know, for me when I was young, it was, and still is the case, it's two sides of the same same coin, which is the, just the feeling to do, to create something, right? To yeah. make something, uh, bring something to this world that maybe wasn't there before. And you could do that, you know, for me, when I read books as a kid, that, that they stayed with me um, and they made huge impact on me as a person. And so I thought, you know, I wanted to tell a lot of the story of immigration and other things that I, you know, lived through. And so writing was definitely a vehicle for that. Um, but, and the tech side is also, you know, same thing. I wanted to create something, uh, something that wasn't there before that maybe makes people's lives better yep. in some way, makes people's lives easier and to bring that in. So it's really, it's too, to me, it, it all comes from the same place. It just how you do it is it's just a bit different. So did you ever write anything as a kid? Yeah, I started writing when I came to the US and I was uh, lucky we had in the school that I went to, we had some creative writing kind oh, of nice. uh, things or like basically we we're given a notebook and you know, you could write a story of your own. And so I started doing that when I was about 10 or 11. And, uh, you know, first as a kid, I was reading a lot of science fiction. So my first stories were about going to Mars and, you know, all those things, you know, uh, establishing bases on the moon, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, but, you know, as I, in throughout high school, I really, and into college, I really wanted to write about immigration and, you know, the idea of that, this generation that I was a part of, uh, we really, what we struggled with is that we weren't quite at home in our new space, mm. but the home that we had was no longer there because things had changed so much in the country that we left. Uh, so we were really without a footing, kind of like we were from Atlantis, right? And Atlantis had sank and there's yep. some new where it once was. Uh, but if we go there, we would be strangers. We would be foreigners. Uh, but here we're feeling as foreigners as well. So that was a lot you know, uh, a lot of what I explored in short stories and 
definitely tried my hand at a novel that probably no, I'd be happy if no one ever reads <laughs> uh, for everyone's benefit. But it's something that I might um, come back to uh, just to tell that story. And yeah. Photography is also a medium that uh, I'm, I've explored a lot for the same purpose, just to help tell my own story and help tell people's stories as well. Okay, we'll, we'll come back to photography uh, later on. Um, I did, uh, when I started getting into reading um, novels as a kid, uh, we, education then was upside down. So, but um, I was fortunate enough to find uh, well, I think yeah, five other boys in my hood and in my school, who we all shared the same interest of reading novels, and so we we used to exchange books together, mm-hmm. and we all started writing. And so that was like my lesson in creative writing, and the only reason why I stopped was that uh, I made the mistake of showing a family member. A story that had written a vampire story. It had romance, had action in it. It was probably plagiarized too. <laughs> but I was what? Uh, I was 11 or 12. Yeah. But the person laughed uh, after reading. He just laughed at it. and was like, ah, this is silly and that kind of thing. And I, I just felt bad after that. And I never wrote anything. <laughs> I never wrote Because <laughs> I was like, man, this, this is the first person outside of my boys circle who read my stuff and look at the reaction oh hell this but this must be i must be really terrible so i just threw threw the book away i don't know where the book is and um but once in a while i would always try writing a story and write like a few pages but i remember that incident and i would just dump it and i think i was in my i was almost yeah i was almost turning 30 or so and the person saw me and was like, hey, man, what happened? You used to write. I remember you that story you wrote when you were a teeny tiny kid. And yeah, what happened? You never, did you, why didn't you write more? It was interesting. You wrote a vampire story, right? And I was like, did you remember your reaction? You, I mean, I'm glad you still remember that I wrote the story. But do you remember my, your reaction? I was like, I, I don't remember my reaction. Didn't I encourage you to write more? I was like, well, was it in a separate universe or what? <laughs> you, you laughed at me. And you, you told me it was trash and all that. It was like, really? I, I don't I don't recall that. I was trying to, I, I was wondering why you never brought another story to me. I was like, uh, yeah, that, I stopped. And I was like, oh, man, I'm sorry. I was like, oh, man, that's kind of too late now. But I've always tried to go back because I, I love stories, man. And yeah, so I guess podcasting is where it's at. But although every now and then I start, but I just can't, I, I can't really continue. But in my brain, it's like I'm always designing stuff. That, look, this is a story I want to tell, and this is how I want to tell it. And then, but I, I love how you you always had something about immigration, and uh, you know, about we weren't quite at home in our new space. That's powerful, and yeah, it, it shows that you have something that you you should continue. You should continue. <laughs> I, I like encouraging people to continue because yeah, I, I, I always feels like something. I, it, it hurts me when I think about mine and how I stopped and I was like, yeah, I wish I didn't listen to that person uh, or I'd realized that not everybody was going to like what I did. So that, that shouldn't have stopped me. But if I had known that message at that, that early age, yeah, I probably would have continued writing. Even if the first 
were terrible, I still would have continued writing. Because, yeah, you're not going to start and the first is going to be like 100 uh, Nobel Prize worthy writing, you know, at the beginning. So, yeah, but hey, keep writing. Anyone listening, write your stuff. Write, 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 write until it, it gets great. Write. Just keep writing. You know, don't, don't stop. Just keep writing. Even if you think people are going to laugh at it, write. Trust me, there's one person who's going to read it and be like, wow. And that's all you need. That one person is going to be like, wow. So we shall take a quick break. And then when we come back, um, we're going to touch undergrad and then hit um, your what you're doing in the present. We'll hit professional life and then um, come into something that excites me. Um, everything excites me, but the main thing, that club also. Hi everyone, we've made it two years and who would have thought so? So let's go further and make it three, make it four, make it five, make it six, who knows? 20. But we can't do this without your support. So join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash white label American POD pod or linktree.com slash white label American. Go there and you will see our Patreon link and you can join us for as low as $3. We have bonus content. We have bonus materials. There's so much juice over there that we don't release to the public. And yeah, you can contribute in making this podcast better. You can send questions. You can send your ideas. And also, there's a lot of new things that are coming. The announcements are made on Patreon first because we have to, you know, take care of people who help make this podcast possible so you can be the one to make this podcast what you want it to be come join us on patreon and make it what you like to see join us make it fantastic keep the five stars coming in keep the love coming in thank you for the privilege of your company thank you for staying with us all righty so how did you know what you wanted to study in university and why did you pick nyu yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, it's always so funny when you're asking 17-year-olds to pick what they want to do for the rest of their life, right? Yeah. Uh, again, now that I have a bit of perspective, that just seems a bit bonkers to me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, as I mentioned, one of the, so as I was growing up, besides writing, you know, prose or poetry, I was writing code. And so I had a huge, you know, even back when I was in Ukraine, um, we just got a computer at home and a uh, friend of your family friend had a computer as well. And I remember going there to play with their son who was maybe two years older. And, you know, when you're nine years old and you're hanging out with an 11 year old, they're like, you know, it, it, it's like, there's a, there was like, wow, this is such a smart person. I could learn so much from them. And, but we, so we were playing with a computer, you know, to give you a sense, this was late 80s, right? Um, so you had like the old clunky computers and he was programming um, in QBasic. And I remember that he had programmed the game or maybe he had a game and he, the way that it was stored, you know, now we, this is going to date me a bit, right? But like we used to have floppy disks, right? Yeah. For those no, I remember floppy disks, right? Mm -hmm. But back then, it wasn't an audio cassette. Oh, so the shoes were right there. <laughs> yeah. He put an audio cassette into a tape player, closed the lid, pressed play, 
and it was connected to the computer and the computer read that as the program wow. based on the audio, whatever sounds that it was encoded. And that just blew my mind right there and then. And so I thought, wow, I need to be a part of this somehow. And I thought it was the coolest thing to be able to program and make games, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So um, I started coding, you know, back then. And, you know, when I came to the U.S., tried to code um, in any any way that I could, you know, just small stuff, uh, definitely not anything huge, but it was still something that stayed with me. So I studied computer science throughout um, on my own and, you know, in high school, I took the classes. And so when I went to undergrad, I put down computer science as my major. Um, but then, you know, when I entered an NYU, um, it, and I, I guess to answer first your question of why NYU. So, you know, I, I kind of, I was two, of two minds. I had, I wanted to go study somewhere else, right? Yeah. But I had family in New York and NYU to me was this great school because of my interest in writing. It was seen as somewhere where I can maybe uh, uh, work with writers as well who taught there. Um, and people who worked in literature. So I don't know, it had that vibe, a bit more of a bohemian intellectual um, reputation or vibe that I thought it was good. And it was practical because it was close to, to, the, to New York and I could stay with family. The challenge with that is um, because it was so close to home, there was no practical reason why I should have been living on campus. <laughs> so what ended up happening was uh, ah. it, it kind of getting actually the, I went like, you you have to do the work, the classwork, but then you don't get the benefits of hanging out and like enjoying your time in college. So yeah. my, my college time was actually pretty, um, uh, how can I say like, mm, non-eventful <laughs> like i went to class i learned things i then you know i got interested in finance and you know i was taking some economics classes as well um and so it was kind of it was in that pattern for most of the time but um i sensed like i'm not getting the full college experience i'm not really getting what i envisioned college would be so for my last term um i went to study abroad in europe and oh, spent nice. a semester in college and oh, for me, that, like, yeah, and which is, uh, I don't know if you've been, it's such an awesome, like, just such a beautiful, amazing city. And so when you ask about college, to me, it's like in two parts. It was all the schoolwork and the stuff I should have, I should be doing that I did, right? Yeah. Going to class, learning things. Um, and then the time in Prague is really when I felt like I learned you know, I took photography, I took poetry classes, wow. I took history classes. And so for that, I, I let myself breathe a little bit mm -hmm. um, and really enjoyed that experience. And it was it was really nice. My friends had to come and drag me back to New York <laughs> because they thought I would just stay there. Uh, I think that that would have happened to me if I'd uh, done something similar. I, 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 I My college experience was more of the just go go to school and yeah knock it out and yeah, i had a chance exactly. to go overseas and i thought about it seriously i took it seriously and i was like ah i should, I should go i should go i should go and i was like just 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 knock it out and get it done we get it done i was like man now i look back i was like yeah for what i should i should have 
I should have gone overseas and enjoyed the experience. But yeah, it's done. It's done. <laughs> yeah, well, there's still time. The good thing about Europe is it's always there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But the funny thing is, I I just had um, a, a guest. Uh, well, two guests, but one of them is from. Uh, one of them lives in Prague, and yeah. So. Yeah, Prague, Prague is second time now. Prague is just uh, good stuff about Prague. Yeah, she, she teaches over there. And it's like good oh, stuff. Nice. Yeah, good stuff there. So uh, you knock out college and, um, you know, you, you, you with your tech side, you still ended up, you know, going into the financial world and... Um, going in the, uh, the for-profit sector and but you didn't decide you, you didn't like okay you had the opportunity to stay there but you didn't end up staying there like this is going to be my career path you decided no you wanted to go try something else so how, how did all that go about how did you make that decision yeah absolutely so i want so i was in college taking my computer science classes and I got, you know, I met some people that were working in finance and I got interested in, in the market. And it's something that I was interested in even, I think since uh, eighth grade, we had a subscription to the New York times. And I find myself going through back then, you know, they used to print out all the tickers mm -hmm. in the business section. So as a kid, I remember going through that and, you know, picking up a few, books to understand like what the stock market is so i had this like interest in the back of my mind but in college um i got a little bit more into it um and had uh, got an internship working in finance and before i knew it i was taking uh, my broker licenses my series 7 my series 63 um and working on a trading desk um, while i was going to school so I was usually, you know, opening up in the morning, uh, working in, you know, until the afternoon and then going to take classes in the afternoon and evening. Mm -hmm. And that was a really, you know, I did like it. And I like the, you know, as especially if you think of, you know, 19 year old kid uh, being on a trading desk or trading floor, it's really exciting. There's lots of things going on, yeah. a lot of emotion. Uh, so it was exciting, but uh, one of the things, one of the benefits of working in that environment is uh, if you're on a training desk, if you want to know what you're going to be doing in five years or 10 years, you don't, it's not a mystery. You just look down, you know, a few seats to your right or to your <laughs> left and where you see, you know, the guy front the desk, right? And you see exactly what you'll be doing in five or 10 years. And, you know, for me, it was never about the money. It was more about of an experience that maybe I could drawn in some way maybe i would write about it right so it was more of just being a part of that um that experience and it was not something that you know as i started doing it it was just not something that i envisioned myself doing in uh five or ten years and that i wanted to dedicate my life to um so i started you know i started looking at different uh other things that i was interested in and very quickly i started reading about international development and global health and really kind of trying to see if I could put whatever finance skills I had, whatever business skills I had to see if I could help use those skills to 
address different um, inequities that were there globally um, and see if I can get to travel to different parts of the world to see how people live. So I really just wanted to get beyond the New York finance bubble of showing up at 7 a.m., leaving at 7 p.m., being in front of the screens all day. I wanted to travel, I wanted to see the world, and I wanted to kind of help improve things. So inequities is what is the word that stood out from what you just said, and that also ties back to some of the stuff that you had said previously, and it also relates to your name, Peacemaker. So another proof right there again for those who are keeping tabs, just in case, you know. So um, you took a job that took you um, overseas and what was um what what would you consider the, the biggest lesson that you took well before you get to the biggest lesson excuse me what um what was like the, the biggest experience that you you got from you know when you you started this job that took you um to different places you know outside of new york um outside of america what was the first experience that made you realize that this job is not uh is totally different from the financial jobs that you've been working or you know the, the tech jobs like this this is a whole totally, totally different experience to what you were um from the world that you were coming from yeah so you know Ralph, what was interesting to me is it wasn't that different. I mean, it was because I was in parts of the world that were different from, say, New York, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and being in town. Uh, that was, of course, different. But, you know, I drew on my experience in Ukraine, right? Of mm. that not all of us are living with uh, food on the shelves in the stores. Not all of us are living with infrastructure and healthcare infrastructure and transportation infrastructure, right? There are parts of the world, many parts of the world, where you don't have that. So I had experienced that you know, through my time growing up um, in Ukraine when uh, the Soviet Union fell apart and we had queues, people were standing in line for two hours and there was no food on the shelves, right? There were there was mass inflation and we had money literally on the streets as you're walking in the mud and you're seeing dollar bills, but you don't pick them up because you know that, you know, they're, they don't work that much, right? So I had that experience. So, if, um, so when I traveled to other parts of the world, it wasn't, that to me was not, I actually felt quite at home, right, uh, in that respect. Um, what was surprising to me is that the challenges that we were trying to solve in the nonprofit work, and basically I worked in global health, we were trying to get more access to in, and I spent most of the time in Sub-Saharan Africa, we we're trying to expand access to drugs for HIV, malaria, and tuberculosis. Uh, so that countries could afford those drugs, can get them into the countries, can distribute them, make sure that people who need them got them in time. But the tools that we were using were actually very much the same. They were business tools. We were just using them from a for a different purpose. And that was actually, it was something that I didn't expect. I thought I would be doing something completely different uh, with different tools. 
but that really made me realize, you know, to the point that you made earlier about like the narratives that we have about good versus bad, or, you know, about different countries or different parts of the world or um, kind of what needs to happen for challenge, different challenges to get better. I saw that these were actually business problems that were having very unfortunate human consequences of where maybe the government didn't know how much need there was for the drugs, right? Because there wasn't a reporting system to understand that, right? Or maybe the companies that were making the drugs weren't providing them to those markets because they, they thought it was too risky or they didn't know how much demand there was for the drugs so they couldn't actually make them in the factories, right? Very, so that to me was a big like aha moment that, hey, this is actually not that different. We can use the same tools that we use in our day to day, but we could point them at problems, at different problems, and actually make those things better. Hmm. You know what you just said reminds me of uh, the guest from episode fifteen. He's very big in the supply chain world, uh, Brian Long Aoe. Mm -hmm. So he's the co-founder of um, the uh, Worldwide Supply Chain Federation. Um, it started as the New York supply chain, um, the New York supply chain um, um, meetup, and he's always um, he he has blogs on, and he's actually uh, he's also teaching now at NYU, and um, he has a blog on um, supply chain, and he always says a lot of the supply chain issues in the world are. Not as uh, that he talks about them being related to climate change and um, but not like unsolvable. Like there's some a lot yeah. of people make it out to be that you know these are problems that uh, are not as grand as uh, they are made out to be, but we just have the wrong people talking about them a lot, and that that if we have the right people in the room. A lot of these problems will this will sound simpler and will be easier to tackle, and that's the point. That, that's where he comes from, and the problem is how do you get those people into the room or the mic in front of those people, and that's where it becomes a whole different ball game entirely. But that's yeah. what uh, what you just said reminded me about that because yeah, hundred percent business problems. Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, because a few times there's some there's times when I dig into certain issues and I'm like, why why is this even a problem? Why is this why does this even exist? Because I'm like, yeah, with my little background in supply chain, this shouldn't this shouldn't even this, it doesn't even make sense why we're having this issue. And then, yeah, God, then yeah, it's so yeah, that's why I wasn't yeah I wasn't surprised when you said that. But um, yeah, so. You uh, went from for-profit sector to, uh, was it non-profit or not-for-profit you were working at? It's, I think it's the same thing. It's non-profit. Okay, non-profit. So, uh, although I think you may have answered this in a way, what would you consider the, your biggest takeaways from having worked on both for-profit and not-for-profit, um, non-profit, I mean? Um, yeah, 
I think it, it's really that it's that it's they're more similar than different. Mm. And the tools that we have to solve problems are can be applied to many different things. It's it's very it's very similar. The other thing that I was just so inspired by and struck by is that there's so much cool stuff happening in a lot of the countries that we again going back to what you mentioned about the simpler simplified narratives that we have, right? Is that or the stories we tell ourselves about regions of the world or countries are everything is so much more nuanced and there's so much more kind of um, color and kind of shade shading of the different kind of things that happen uh, in a particular country, in a particular region that people just don't recognize because we have these simplified notions of what places in the world are. You know, I've seen uh, entrepreneurs in Kenya who are coming out using mobile currency. This was like in 2013, right? Yeah. Uh, way before we were using it in the US, right? They have different digital patient records, right? Uh, Nigeria has tons of stuff going on as, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you know, right? It's, um, there's so much cool stuff happening, right? Uh, that it wasn't, um, it wasn't kind of a need sometimes for anyone to come in and try to make things better. It's more of like, how do we actually let the people who know what the challenge is, who are already doing good stuff, how do we actually help, like unblock them, right? Mm. And give them room to grow yeah. uh, rather than coming in with like some off the shelf solutions that we think is, is best. I agree. First time I ever heard of mobile payments was yeah that was it was probably around 2011 2012 and it was in zimbabwe yeah and i was like what is this like then i was like well that's actually smart though and, and then i yeah. kind of brushed it off and i was like yeah but and then i started hearing mobile payments over a decade later and i'm like wait i know the zimbabweans were using this but people are telling yeah. me this is new way to use it. i'm like what what do you mean this is new it's been people in zimbabwe have been using this like yeah, yeah. so uh-huh that's true um, so you've been to a couple of sub-Saharan countries, lived over there. Uh, did you mingle with the food? Yeah, of course, oh. especially in Ethiopia. I still, I'm still looking for a good Ethiopian restaurant in New York City. So if you have any recommendations, did, I did, you, did you try the place that used to be on Fort Avenue? Unfortunately, the, I think the pandemic shut down their business. No. Uh, yeah, that, that that food was good though. It's a bit pricey, but um, I mean, you gotta pay rent if you're on Fort Avenue. So, uh, but it was I took um, one of my friends who's a good friend of the podcast, and uh, they live in San Antonio. So, uh, when the, the pre-pandemic they they visited, and I was like, "You ever had Ethiopian food?" They said no, and I took them there, and man, they they were like, "What is this? This is great." Great, like had the local, you know, the whole food was served and washed their hands, dived in, and they were like, "Oh man!" Every every time he finds an Ethiopian place in San Antonio, he always gonna text me like, "Hey man, I, fa I found one." <laughs> like you don't have to be reporting to me, but yeah, yeah. So that's how I got started on Ethiopian food, but unfortunately, they they closed down. Um, there's, what's the place called? Uh, there's one in Midtown. Um, actually, is it Midtown or Soho? 
Yeah, I think it's so. So, um, by West Houston, close to West Houston Street. It's a small corner. I was, was by mistake. I found that place. I went. I saw. I saw a play there around twenty thirteen. And after seeing the play, and you know, it was off Broadway, and just came out and just let me play around there. I was with two friends, and just so it's, it's like a bit. It's like a basement restaurant. And I was like, yeah, let's go down there. That's the how I ended up having St. George's beer or whatever. Yeah, I think it's called St. George's beer. That's how I ended up having that beer for the first time. I was like, oh, Ethiopian beer. Yeah, let me have it because I, I can't stand going to a restaurant that's uh, be whatever country it is. And I asked, yeah. what's the beer from that country? And they're like, oh, well, they sell American beer or beer that's come on here. I'm like, why you call yourself a restaurant from whatever country you are? You don't have a beer from that country. That that that's something that pisses me off, but <laughs> I love that place because that was the first Ethiopian place I walked into. They were like, "Oh yeah, we have Saint uh, George beer. They had another uh, honey beer or something." And I was like, "Wow, this Ethiopian place got everything. And the food prices were decent, and the food, uh, yeah, the food was good, and the quantity was like, I was like, man, was it for one person only? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I wasn't expecting that. It's close out to Soho, so yeah." Um, I think it's called. I have to look it up. I, I'll probably send you the place. But I find yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Other than that, I've not had. Uh, it's only then. There's another place by Columbia University that a friend took me to. It's for students mostly, but they're small in the whole spot. Yeah. That, those are like the three Ethiopian places that I've been to in the city. But yeah, Ethiopian food. Yeah. I'm. I'm, I'm not. Yeah. I, I'm. I'm down with Ethiopian food. I'm. I'm a foodie. I eat everybody's food, but. Yeah, Ethiopian. Cause like and most uh, West Africans are like, ah, we don't do Ethiopian. I'm like, man, get out of here. Their bread is like the bread, man. That bread, exactly. Yeah. Well, also, from Zim, you have sadza, right? A lot of other dishes as well. I've, I've uh, never had... Uh, well, I haven't... I've had... Uh, no, I've not had Zimbabwean food, to be honest. I have an aunt who's uh, Zimbabwean, but she's been colonized by Nigerians because she married. She's my aunt by marriage. She's so she married an aunt or my uncle, who but they're divorced now. But yeah, but the bond is too strong. So she's Nigerian now because she makes nice. uh, yeah okay. yeah. Even though they've been divorced for how many years now? Yeah, she's still. I think she cooks more Nigerian than Zimbabwean. So, cause I, ne- I never, every time I've been around, I've never had Zim- offer me like, hey, it's Zimbabwean food. So I was like, man, I mean, you, you're disqualified from being Zimbabwean. I just remember by your name that you're Zimbabwean. That's it. <laughs> you're supposed to be my gateway into the Zimbabwean food. Well, now I can't even be like, yeah, I know Zimbabwean. What's this child doing there? Dang. Uh, anyway. Yeah, but I've I've never had Zimbabwean food. South African, I've had even the South African place has closed. There used to be one by, I don't know. You did you ever try it by? Um, I think Court Street. I think it was called Madiba. Well, that, oh, it used to be a popular sure. South African restaurant. I went there once. It was quite packed, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's closed now. So I don't think I'm bad mounting them. The food wasn't. <laughs> it, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't my favorite. Let me put it that way. But. Uh, I guess being used to a lot of African food, uh, yeah, maybe I, that's why it wasn't top notch for me. But let's just say a lot of white people were there having a good time, and I was like, yeah, y'all don't know good African food. That's why. <laughs> but the food was expensive and everything. They had 
Mandela's photo everywhere. They had uh, Bob Marley playing. I was like, what, what, where's the South African music? But now, now uh, my piano is hot. So, yeah. So, I guess if they, they needed maybe like two, three years, and then they would have, South African music would have been popping. But, yeah, it, it just felt funny to me. I came there. I was like, South African play. I Googled it. South African, I was like, let's go. Took Verena came there, and I was like, uh, this is weird. All I'm hearing is just Bob Marley. But the waiter who served me was like, oh, he's from South Africa. He literally just came from South Africa. The, the waiter was brand new. I was like, okay, okay, I believe you guys. You're South Africans. Uh, Where's where the food? What, what, what's this food? It's like, oh, well, you know. It's like, man, come on. Come on. And I was like, nah, nah I'm, I'm, let me go. I, I'll go eat for, I'll go try other places. Yeah. But um, there's also a Senegalese place on Fifth Avenue. Um Past, uh, I think after uh, President Street, uh, Le Succulent. Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's Senegalese. They, they open late. Um, you, you have to check the hours. They, they, they're not open early, but yeah, it's uh, it's also new in the neighborhood. So I try to patronize them once in a while because I don't want to lose because we've already lost the Ethiopians. So I have to make sure my Senegalese people remain. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so Ethiopian is your is your is the favorite that you have. For now, for now, but okay. I should try some Nigerian. I haven't tried enough. Yeah, there's a lot of Nigerian, but um, yeah, divine flavored on Atlantic Avenue. They 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 deliver. They, yeah, I I I go by those. I have to bring the owner too on the on the podcast, but yeah, they 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 got great options. That and if you're a vegetarian. Vegan. I I give them good business. I give them business. So yeah, those guys are awesome, and good customer service too. So that that's the thing with Nigerian places. You can find good food in some in some places. Customer service is gonna be like, God, I ain't give you my money no more. But <laughs> divine flavored, they got good food, good customer service. So yeah, that that's why I I can call their name. Some other places, yeah, the food is too good, but the customer service, I'm like, ah. Uh, no, but yeah, yeah. Let's start with divine flavored. You're right there. You, you 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 won't you won't regret it. You won't. All right, and Ghanaian food too is also yeah, Ghanaian Nigerians. They're almost they're almost they're literally they're twins. But don't tell them I said so because they they're gonna start fighting. All right, so um, before we um, let's not spend too much time on food because I'm gonna start feeling hungry now. Um. Uh, yeah, so you you're back to uh, you. Are you still with a? You're not with a um, non-profit, right? You've moved. No, so I continued. Yeah, so now I'm in my day job is in still in healthcare, but more in the biotech side. So with okay, um, in immuno oncology companies that's developing cancer therapy for yeah. uh, globally. So for both. Um, kind of US and Europe, but also for um, other countries as well. And I think it has one of the reasons I joined, it has a big mission to actually make m- more of these therapies available globally. Okay, so it, it's still in line with uh, your personal mission statement of, you know, you, you, you always attracted to something that involves the well-being of others. Yes. I think, know, it, I think you you've gone beyond just 
making money about you know you, you don't it's not about you just i mean yeah you got to pay your bills and all that but it's not about you just you you think beyond that you think you you think you include well-being of others in anything you do that's so that's i have a reason why i'm going there because i'm coming to the next theme so you said during your downtime you decided to find uh, to to become the founder of a club known as that club so why did you do that yeah great question so it's you know i've been struggling with something for a while now uh for the probably for the past five or seven years as you know my daughter was born as i got older and that's really to have more friends right as as a man as as a an adult and what i found was that you know i'm i consider myself lucky because i have a few close friends and i've known these guys since we were 15 or 16 years old so since mm -hmm. high school and i know them very well they know me very well they call me out on my bs uh they they know when i'm kind of um you know probably not being my best self and so i feel lucky to have that but at the same time i feel like you know we've all you know we all grow and it'd be, you know, I find that most of us and myself included are lacking um, really a band of brothers, right? A, a, like a group of other men who we can draw on and that support our emotional health and well-being. And I think for men these days, emotional health and well-being, it's a hugely overlooked area. It's something that we as guys don't talk about because we're brought up to say, hey, I don't have any issues. Everything yeah. is good. I'm strong. Um, and also as a society, it's not something that, that we've talked about either. And I think what I see, you know, this is something that I've struggled with a lot where, you know, I have my, you know, work friends, mm -hmm. right? Um, I have a few old pals from high school or college, but, you know, maybe I know some other parents from, you know, my, uh, my daughter's school, but really, otherwise, it's incredibly difficult to form new meaningful friendships as a man uh, when you have other commitments like work and family. And this, you know, you feel that, or at least for me, I felt that in the most critical, toughest moments of my life, when I was dealing with something with my daughter, when I was dealing with work challenges, when I was uh, going through some personal relationship challenges, right? I really felt that, hey, it would be great to have a group of close friends on which, you know, I can uh, rely on or, you know, that could offer me that foundation, that footing. Um, and I had not felt that. And where do you get friends as a man uh, these days, right? Because we're all zipping back and forth. Now we're all living in this weird Zoom world where we even have even less in-person interactions. So it's really tough in my mind um, to do this. And I think it has very real and very serious consequences for men as we get older. Because you know, I, if I look at men who are 60, 70 years old, the ones that are living their best life and are well off from a physical and mental standpoint and are healthy in that way, are ones that have a social network around them. Those that are isolated, um, you deteriorate very quickly. And this is something that I would want to avoid for myself, but also for a lot of other men that I think are struggling with the same thing out there. 
So, yeah, go ahead. You know, that, yeah, so I'll pause there. <laughs> uh, I was going to jump in with uh, the keyword you said there, social network. Which yes. I believe is where um, many people struggle because uh, it took me a while to, you know, start to realize that there was a vibe that I thought I had, but I didn't really have. When one day I like, you know, I I I have a bunch of podcasters who are like, who are my mentors, who I mirror myself after, and you know, they pointed out that you know your social media um, followers are not your friends. That's just a basic thing. Yeah, you might end up creating a friendship through social media. It's not saying you should throw everybody who you know through social media and all that, but the, if you look at a way like okay, give give you use Twitter as an example, you know you see this current wave that um I don't believe in council culture by the way I'm not using that to go on the council culture thing I don't believe in it, but you see this thing where it's like there's this hive mentality that people do where it's like oh um we didn't we didn't see you comment on this so you you you're a wrong person and then people start getting mad at you and it's like. Are they really your friends? If you know all these people are supposed to be your followers, all these people, are cool. your your you you know you, they're on your Facebook. They call themselves friends, and why are they mad at you if they say you didn't say this, you didn't say that? So you know, and I started looking back. Like there was a certain time, my Facebook, whatever status I put up, I got a lot of engagement, and with time, it started being like reducing, reducing. The more I stopped talking about a whole bunch of BS, which was stuff I didn't know anything about. It, it, the engagement reduced. But when I talked about some ignorant stuff, the engagement was high. And I didn't like that. And the more I was like, I want to talk about what I like, but not from a negative point of view, more engaging. People just stopped really talking to me. That was, that was it. And I was like, yeah, I this is not uh, friendship. Uh, this is not what I consider friendship. So I guess uh, that was my reality, realization that this social media thing is not really the friendship that I thought it it would be. Have I made some cool friends through it? Yes, I have, but that's not. They're not the majority. It's the it's a very small percentage that of friends that I've made through it, and uh, so that that speaks a lot to the lack of friends as an adult, and. When I hear people, you know, saying no new friends, I don't have friends and all that, I, I think sometimes it's become a thing that we use as a defensive mechanism because you don't know how to make friends anymore. If you go by social media 24-7, it tells you don't make friends. You're not supposed to have friends. or It's cool not to, you know, to be that person who can't have, you know, don't, doesn't have friends in their lives. And I'm like, no, you, you shouldn't. It's, it's not cool. But you can have a social network that is uh, positive, has a positive impact in your life, has a positive impact in, in um, positive engagement in everything that you do. And that's how I'm now approaching things now. And I've started changing a whole lot of things that I'm doing. And since I've started doing that, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. And that's why I'm happy that... Um, what you you're doing exists because we need people like that we need stuff like this 
that you're bringing to the table that's completely devoid of the uh, um, what's it called of this uh, hive mentality thing of like oh we all here to just bash one person or fight and I'm like yeah it's it's, it's just energy draining I'm 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 I'm, I'm, look, I'm look I'm not looking for friendship for that that's not why I'm looking for friends in that uh, aspect I'm looking for friends for friends and if you don't want to be friends that way then that's fine I I'm willing to take my time and look for friends that way so yeah, yeah that's why I was happy to hear when you, you mentioned social network because that's very important for me as a dad and as someone on my journey too and and Ralph, I I saw a uh, statistic recently that said that um, the percentage of men in America who view themselves as having no close friends it increased fivefold. It used to be three percent in 1990. Now mm -hmm. it's fifteen percent. Wow! And that's in the U.S. You know, you could think this is a, and that's no friends. And then you know, it, the study went on to say like you have one friend or two friends. That's another. But like it's scaled so much now, and I really think it, this is a epidemic, a mental health and public health epidemic, just that no one really talks about. This is a silent mm -hmm. crisis um, oh. that I think we can, we should try to address. I agree. I agree that it's something that yeah. we, we should try to address. Um, it's stuff like this that makes me miss something as simple as uh, going to the barber shop. Cause you know I'm bald now, so I haven't <laughs> been to Baba Shop in years. But um, yeah, I, I think th there's some little engagements that I think the moment you remove something like that from people's lives, you start to see how people d deteriorate. Because that's why I love volunteering. The moment I discovered that volunteering was something that I could have been doing all these years, I saw how less of a um engage engaging i became on social media i i spent less time on social media i i, I stopped being that person i was always fighting i used to fight a lot on social media i don't I, i'm not some kind of saintly guy no i used to be that guy who i would spend hours and i was like why, why am i going back and forth with somebody who i don't know why this what have, what have i gained from this <laughs> i spent hours going back and forth you won't be able to change person's mind you didn't change one you haven't gained anything but it's like i own this person you didn't own anything so rather than doing that i rather go volunteer somewhere and then i get to meet new people and get to learn something new and i felt i felt much better from doing something like that and getting to meet people that way and i was like oh you know what i could be doing this rather than fighting somebody <laughs> who might be say, a teenager somewhere or i don't know could be a bot and I, exactly. I, so as soon as I started learning that, I was like, yeah, the more the more I started doing stuff like that, it, the, the better I became for my mental health. And even when the pandemic began, at the beginning, I think I spent more time re, 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 uh, reverting back to the fighting thing. And then I discovered that, wait, I could put on a mask and go volunteer. So that as soon as I started doing that, there are people who have tagged me in posts. I'm like, yeah. Why are you tagging me to come fight somebody? And yeah, all right, yeah. If the person needs to own somebody, yeah, you've owned me. You won. I just come there with the white flag. You've won. <laughs> Bye. I'm gone. <laughs> I go volunteer. That's it. But yeah, it's uh, it, 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 it is a silent pandemic. Uh, it's something that 
a whole lot of us, men especially, with we don't know how to cry for help. We don't know how to ask. Um, we don't know how to say, "I need help." It is difficult. Even the first time I ever asked, um, the first time I ever sought therapy, I did not ask for therapy. I did not say I needed therapy. I just got fed up and I started ranting to my primary care doctor, and she looked at me and said, "Would you like to talk to somebody?" And apparently I was amendable to talking to somebody that day. I was, and I just said, whatever, yes. But literally I was crying for help. Yeah. A lot of us just don't know how to do that. We just don't know how to say, I need help. Um, okay with being, and I'm, I'm the kind of person who is okay with helping others. I've, I see people putting the, sending out the signal that I'm, writing messages, I'm about to say goodbye or that kind of thing, I will intervene. But I myself didn't know how to say I needed help. Help me. It was one of my weaknesses, one of my uh, problems I needed to work on. So, yeah, I, I, I relate to men having that struggle, men having that issue, men having that problem. And especially those of us who are in the um, migrant community, a lot of us are not told that, hey, this is, uh, you, it's okay. It's okay to cry. It's okay to say, uh, I don't know what step to take now. That's why I made that point earlier in the episode that I can look back at setting that some of those who have come before us and see the steps that it took and how much bumping into the walls that it made. And I can empathize with them. I'm not saying I support whatever wrong mistakes they made. I'm not saying I support whatever decisions they made, but I can empathize with them because I get how we were raised. I get how, you know, where we are coming from. So yeah, I, I get it. And I understand, and I, I, that's why I, I appreciate those who rose up above that, that to still get to where they, they got to, and I appreciate those who were able to say, I needed help, and I appreciate people like you who are uh, stepping forward to create a platform to tackle the pandemic and say, yeah, well, we're not going to wait until a whole bunch of us create much more, um, do something more disastrous than what's already happening. Yeah, and um, like yeah, we, we need to step in, and we 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 should all be stepping in right away, you know. So yeah, it is welcome. Um, one quick thing I would like to ask about is the you uh you you already mentioned being a dad, and um, I think it's also important to mention that um not every dad is married. Or every dad is uh you're a single dad and you've navigating fatherhood is different it's a different journey for someone like you in comparison to someone like me no, 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 i don't want to do like the comparison thing but i i believe it's part of humanizing our stories to let people hear from the different fathers that are out there and so how's it been for you navigating fatherhood as a single dad and in, in this uh, pandemic too, and like, not just 
only the pandemic that you've mentioned, the silent pandemic, but also the global pandemic that we are going through right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so first off, I consider myself the luckiest guy out there uh, because I have my daughter um, and, you know, that's kind of, that's my rock. Uh, and so that's, I feel very blessed with that. So I feel my glass is full. Um, you know, I also, I think it's hard to reflect on because when you have your own reality, that's all you know, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so I just consider myself lucky. I think, you know, it going back to the challenge of making friends, it's just, it's one more thing because, you know, I have, um, I'm focusing on my daughter, I'm focusing on my work that pretty much takes up all of my, all of my attention and all of my time. But um, being a single dad, I think is, is uh, there's certainly pros, you know, challenges and there are good things about it. There are challenges about it. Um, I will say also, I'm lucky to have a great relationship with her mom, you know, her stepdad and uh, that uh, I know that doesn't always happen. And so we have very yeah. good mutual, you know, a lot of mutual respect and, you know, wanting the best for, for my daughter. And again, I feel that that's very fortunate. I consider myself lucky for that. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's tough when you're a, as a parent because you're trying to understand and this is interesting reflecting on my own uh, childhood, right? Of as parents, are we friends of our kids? Are we their bosses, right? Like what is mm -hmm. our role? Mm -hmm. And I think that has been changing. It certainly changed through the pandemic. It certainly changed since I was a kid. And so it's more navigating that, of, especially as a single parent, how do I contribute the most to my daughter's childhood? How do I make her develop? um how do i show up for her um every single day and you know i'm not sure if that's different if you're not a single parent um i think probably it's it's not that different but uh it's more of just kind of thinking through how to combine all that in the time that we have together right and um have fun but also have her develop uh show up to her as, for her as a parent like all these things so it's more of like how do I how do I make sure everything is addressed in in this short amount of time? You know, uh, when you when you mentioned, are we friends of our kids? Or are we their bosses? Uh, I, I think mine is my boss right now. But uh, at the same time, she she always says. <laughs> uh, sometimes she will call me, Papa. You're my best friend. She will say, Papa, you're my best friend. Or uh, she will say. Mama is my best friend, or one of our grandparents is our best friend, and I'm like, okay, I'm, I don't, I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm still family, but I, I guess, and, and but yeah, it's it, it, like the first time she said it, it was like, oh, that felt nice. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, it's uh. It's it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing at the end of the day, and it's lovely to always see that you, um, a, a parent who is able to, um, well, not just a parent, but both you and um, the the parents who are able to evolve into saying just because we put our 
child first does not mean we can't find our happiness. And even if the happiness, even if it means that, uh, both of us not being together, it does not mean we can't make our child happy or children happy. And that is something that I, I love seeing and I celebrate because uh, I, 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 I grew up seeing people or hearing people say, uh, oh, I stayed in, in, in the relationship because of the children. And you, you could tell us we were miserable and it got to a point where they were actually hating the children because it was like, oh, you're responsible for my misery. That's what mm -hmm. it started turning into from hating the partner to hating the children. Because it became, I you you are you're my, you're my misery. You all represent misery to me, and that's why I, I I'm never an advocate for staying in a relationship because of the children. You know, you you can you can find happiness apart, but it doesn't mean you have to make the ch the children or the child misery. You know, you know they, they didn't ask to be uh, for they didn't ask to be. On, to 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 be made um to be made a scapegoat you know yeah. and it's up to the parents to always do the right thing and if doing the right thing means separating then separate but still do the right thing so i'm always um glad to hear and see parents who are doing the right thing and still making it happen for their kids because it's possible it's it's not there's too many People will just claim like, oh, you have to live together. I'm like, no, you don't. You don't have to live in the same building. You don't have to live under the same roof for the uh, for you to do the right thing for your child. Like, nah, nah, that's uh, nah. I've, I've I've seen and I know better now than way back then. Now, no, 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 no. So, uh, thank you for giving me your time. We have to start wrapping up now. Uh, my daughter is going full haywire too, so. Yeah, I have to start speeding it up because uh, she she about to go berserk now. I think she has too much energy from all the fruits she's been eating. Uh, but I can't let you go without asking two fun questions. So I can't believe I've had someone born in Ukraine and I haven't even answered, I haven't even uh, asked this question. Do you even Adidas? Do I even what? Adidas. Sorry? Yeah, ask that question. Adidas. Yeah. Do I have Adidas? Do I wear Adidas? You you know what the question? I didn't have to say the question in any <laughs> grammatical way. You you know what that question is? Uh yes. Um, I so I grew up with uh oh my god, so many guys in Adidas suits and Fila suits. <laughs> um, if if you ever seen it you know what i'm talking about hell yeah uh, so yes so probably yes but maybe we don't publish that part on the podcast because <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's like uh uh my boy namik that was like man Namik, yeah I'd, I'd, I'd buy his uh his son um his first his first kid i, I bought that one a whole adidas tracksuit <laughs> i was like come on you gotta get my nephew in the game Immediately, and actually, there was there was um, a day I got a ride. Uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was an Uber ride, and the driver was he was born in Kiev. He grew up. He was actually a pilot during the Soviet uh, days, and that was how we bonded. Because I saw he was wearing 
the tracksuits, the Adidas tracksuits. And when we started talking, I was like, wait, you you from Eastern Europe? Oh, he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm Ukrainian. I was like, oh, man. And I was like, I could tell from your Adidas. He was like, really? You know that too? Oh, that we just, well, yeah, we started bonding and it was, it was so funny. But yeah, that, that, Namik put me on that, man. He, he put me on that. That you blame him for that. Blame him for that. He, so that since then, anytime I see someone from that part of the world, I'm like, do you even Adidas? If you don't Adidas, man, you're not, you're not from there, man. You, I can't take you seriously. <laughs> That's how the question comes. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll wear mine next time we play soccer. Hey, that's it, man. I, I'm part of the family, too, because that's why I always wear Adidas. Yeah. <laughs> I got a tracksuit, too. <laughs> I got everything from head to toe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now, final fun question. Everyone, everyone who's been a guest on this podcast has the rhythm, or as my Zimbabwean sisters say, the rhythm. So... We need you to dance for at least an hour. And don't worry, it's not going to be on video. Don't worry, we're not doing it right now. But um, we need you to dance for at least an hour. And I know your daughter is going to love this question. We need uh, three artists. Name three artists that can keep you going for at least an hour. Now, there's a catch to it. There's a catch. You can't give us the most popular names. You can give us artists from you know, back in Ukraine, or uh, you give us some, you can give us from diaspora too, we'll take that, but, or uh, you can give us from the places that you've walked in, you know, and, you know, when you were walking overseas, we'll, we'll accept those, but at least three artists that can keep you going for an hour. All right. So I I can answer that, but maybe so three. I first two that come to mind. One is flamenco music, kind of like uh, the South Spain type of music where yeah, it just I don't know what it is, but every time I hear it, I just want to move. Right, it makes you want to move. Uh, so who are the artists? We need artists. I know flamenco, but we got we need artists. Uh, you know, it's stuff like Gypsy Kings, okay, like that kind of stuff. Um, so that's one. The other is completely different, maybe electronic music. So mm. you know, in the festivals where you have lots of lights, lots of music, yeah, uh, that could be a lot of fun too. I mean, I grew up uh, on guys like Tiesto mm. way back way in the day. Um, but there are a lot, lots of other new acts now. Uh, so that's, that's actually something that I would love to go to somewhere with lots. Maybe this is a post pandemic thing because I've never wanted to go to any of these, uh, festivals when I was younger, but now when, you know, we've been locked up for so long, (laughs) I just want to be with other people. I just want to move. Okay. Uh, so that would be fun. And the third one, honestly, I don't know. Uh, maybe jazz. So, you know, like swing, swing dancing. All right. So they have this thing on Governor Island every year. They used to be for the pandemic in August where everyone dresses up in like 1920s attire. Oh, uh, is it Governor's Ball? Governor's Ball, maybe. I don't know if it's Governor's Ball, but everyone, it's like going back in time. It's like the jazz age. uh, And that's a lot of fun too. Um, I don't have, I don't know that well to name any artist, but, you know, that type of music. Uh well not no I think all the jazz people who come into my mind now have passed away. Uh <clears throat> oh man. 
Well, I'm just right, jazz music. Uh, dang it. Why am I forgetting? I know, like, I'm, dang, it's not, it's not helpful. But I got too many people in my, in my brain. I'll pull someone from my Spotify list for you. But, there you go. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> All righty. So thank you for your time. Uh, spasibo, right? Spasibo Balshoya. Spasibo Balshoba. Namik never told me the second part, but he always said Spasibo is where I ended up with Namik. But yeah, appreciate you coming on the podcast. Final question. What would you like to leave the audience with? Could be from something you've written, one of your hidden works of art that you don't want us to know about. You know, you can give us, you can drop one hidden gem in there. Or it could be something you've read or from something you've uh, seen on your travels or from one of your favorite artists, uh, from your, one of the jazz songs you've listened to. You know, you know. It's up to you. This is all you, freestyle. What would you like to leave the audience with? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think you touched on it when you were talking about families, right? I think my major takeaway is that life is short and you don't have to do anything, that it's all in your in your control, right? So there's no one way to live a life. So live life you want to live. And uh, you're only accountable to yourself at the end of the day. So that's that's kind of the big idea. Um, I have to do my plug for Dad Club. So if you're listening to this, go to dadclub.co, check it out. Um, it's not an app, it's not a forum, it's a real life uh, thing for get to get people out of their houses and get them back in time for dinner, uh, but still have fun and make new friends. So it'd be great to have, to get this up and running in the new year. Uh, so I'm be awesome if uh, people check it out. Yeah, and I'd love to have more people part of it. Oh, say it again. That, so that, no, the, um, that club. Oh, dot... So All right. So yeah. dot com, it's dot co because yeah. the domains are taken. Oh no worries, <laughs> I got no no. I understand. Yeah, no, normally I ask for plugins after you, the final question, but you 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 you, oh, you okay. saw ahead of time and you you took care of that, so that that worked out perfectly. So yes, right. dotclub.co, and I'll be adding that to the show notes, and you see it on all the social media posts. So yeah, sign up, um, and yeah, join the community. I'm there already, and yeah, so we can do fun stuff and uh, yeah, see how it grows and help it take it to the next level. All righty, thank you for being with us. Can't wait to see how we grow the year, and yeah, love great stuff coming up in 2022. Keep the love coming in, stay awesome, sharing. You know what to do, do the right thing. All righty, see you in the next episode. Thank you for the privilege of your company. All right, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to White Label American. If you enjoyed the show, we'll appreciate if you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. If you have any questions, comments, or have someone who will be a good guest on the show, or you want to be on the show, send us a message at whitelabelamerican at gmail.com and make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at White Label American. Thank you for your support.